0: Here we go. Shit, We, we gotta, just fucking caught that completely.
1: <laughs> hey, you better start good. again there, mate. That's what's nah, No, we we're work keeping it. Yeah. Yeah. Fight through it, boys. Fight through If, if you hadn't noticed, yeah. uh,
0: Scott Iper's with us <laughs> and Phil Wolf. Salutations. <laughs> should be Salutations. A, a fun show here. Yeah. So, I don't know. What's up, gentlemen? How you How you doing?
2: Oh, well, I'm okay. I'm just watching at my... Opponent here to smash a cancer stick. I didn't know they're <laughs> still able to have those these days. You must be oh, a yeah. millionaire being able to afford them.
1: Mate. Oh no, see I, I live in a free state, so they're still relatively inexpensive. <laughs>
2: <laughs> mate, you live in Florida, you better watch out that someone doesn't come through you bolt gun your snakes.
0: Oh the, too soon.
2: Too soon. <laughs> too soon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh,
0: man. What a messed up thing. Oh, what a fucking joke, <laughs> eh? yeah yeah
2: actually joke's not the road torment for that is that it's it's really really sad um yeah. and the overreach was ridiculous on that but yeah
0: that's uh that's typical typical government overreach you know i guess that's um there was a there was a guy in my state that um had a bunch of rubber boas which nobody really cares about you know and especially when he was keeping them back then and and uh, had a very extensive collection of, you know, a bunch of different localities, all collected with permits under the proper thing. Well, they, they caught a guy uh, that was, was, you know, collecting Gila monsters out of the wild in Utah, which is highly illegal. And so to, to lessen his sentence, he turned informant. And he went to this guy's house and he said, Oh, yeah, is, this looks like that illegal population of rubber boas. And he said, Oh, no, it looks similar, but it's not. It's here's the paperwork, here's where I collected it from. He's like, No, oh, it really looks like this illegal one. And all of a sudden, the feds are knocking at his door. Well, the state, you know, wildlife authority is knocking at his door. They collected. They took his whole collection of rubber boas, took it, and and each, you know, they just kind of slowly died in their care. And I think he ended up getting about ten percent of his collection back. And they had a certain amount of time to make the case. They didn't make the case in a certain amount of time. They needed to do all these things. They just kind of went against protocol. And so he sued them and lost. And so then he was out, you know, legal fees and all that nonsense, and had nothing, you know, no. There was no accountability. So. Yeah that that happens from time to time but I don't know what do you do <laughs> it's, uh, I talked to well they came and inspected my uh facility when I was getting a business license and um I asked them about that I said hey you know what if I did have something illegal and they said well you know, we kind of learned our lesson from an, something back. And I said, the rubber bow is now like, yep. And so they said, we would leave it with you until we made a case for it. You know, take pictures, document everything. But you would take care of it <clears throat> until we could make the case and, you know, fine you or whatever. So I'm like, well, at least you learned something, <laughs> you know. That's yeah. crazy.
1: It's actually yeah, interesting. I was, I was just talking with my local inspectors. And... They were actually telling me that contrary to all the crazy Florida nonsense that's going on, a lot of the investigators are petitioning to lessen some of the fines for captive wildlife because some of the things are just extreme. And uh, one of the things that they were noticing was with with the venomous and the dangerous animals, uh, air quotes, was uh, labeling if you sold the animal or the animal passed away and you neglected to remove said label from that enclosure that is a currently a misdemeanor and they want Mm -hmm. to like drop that down to just being like a ticket almost like a speeding ticket but and i was like well, why is that illegal like the animal's not even there and they said well if there's an issue where the fire department has to go in or we have to go in and we see an, an open cage or an empty cage with no lock and it says you know cobra on it well we're to assume that it's escaped Mm-hmm. So therefore, we're going to issue manpower to, to recover and all this other stuff. And I was like, all right, well, if you think about it like that, I guess. But I still think it's kind of asinine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe just
2: so. How, so, so what? You How do you label your temporary holding mm-hmm. enclosures?
1: The same way that we would label anything else. It has to legally say danger, venomous, reptile. If you leave off the word reptile, then or reptiles, depending on quantity, that's a crime. And then... Depending on the room, obviously, the cage has to be escape-proof. The room may have to be escape-proof. So, like so,
2: nice so the way yeah. around it is that every cage, you just have danger, venomous reptile.
1: Right, right? but then you also have H- to have Hang on, quantity. hang on, hang,
2: hang on. Okay. And then you have a label that says quantity, right? right? And then all you have is either zero or one. And you just have right. that filled in with the whiteboard marker.
1: But you can't. So it has wow. to say, it has to have the quantity, it has to have the scientific name, it has to have the common name, then what, what, the whole thing is So when that, you put,
2: hang on, so when you put a yeah. snake out, when you clean out one of your cerastes, right? Right. And you drop your cerastes into a fucking bucket, right? Right? You've dropped your cerastes into the bucket, you put, you write on the top of that bucket saying that you have danger, venomous reptile, cerastes vipera times one. Into your holding bucket. See, is, I, that, I don't even have to that, do that. But that's but that's what the legislation you're telling me says.
1: No, no, no. What they're trying to say is that they come to do a routine inspection, right? And I have yeah. more cages than I ever than I have animals for. And let's say I sold Doc a Serastis and I and I neglected to peel that label off. And they walk in the room and they see a cage with a sliding glass door cracked open with no animal in it, or and the label still there. That's the crime. Because I didn't ah, neglect God. to remove it, or let's say I'm not even home and I neglected to remove it, and there's a fire in my neighbor's house, yeah. and they decide to break my door down just to see if there's fire in my house, and they go in there and they see an open cage with a label and no animal, that's the fine. Yeah, it's so yeah, hel- it's 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 an easy it's an like easy fix when the animal's gone, you peel it off, right? But like, yeah. dude, sometimes I'm lazy and I don't feel like it, so or
0: send the label with the animal, you know, like right, t- exactly. Attach it to the box or you're sure. shipping, it. yeah.
1: I mean, and, and that's an all is fine. And the whole point is that, again, I have the vocal labels. Um, I got the idea from you. Um, but it's just one of those things where a stupid law like that is a hefty misdemeanor that they're actually trying to drop it to just a ticket when, in actuality, it's, it's a dumb law. But it is the law. We have to follow the law. So mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting that they're actually trying to lessen some of the fines because of the... The strictness of it, no, no, regardless no, no, no. of whether it's moral or not.
2: <laughs> the inspectors have tried to drop the spines. The fucking the people that can actually make that decision will not be dropping the spines. Make no mistake. Oh, there's, know, yeah. there's two people. In, there's two. There's two camps here, and there's one hey. camp that won't drop. The spines. <laughs> yeah. so.
0: uh, you, uh, you took a trip up to the the northern Cape, right, Scott? You have
2: yeah. You have, I was uh, up. Do you
0: find what you're looking for?
2: Um, oh yeah, I got I found scrubbies and a few other bits and pieces from up there, but um, I got a, a stunning lesser buck whip snake and a few other bits and pieces, but nothing too exciting. I was hoping for some more venomous and mm-hmm. a few other. I was actually hoping for some of the the unusual blind snakes up there as well so yeah. you know one of the very few people that does trips for blind snakes I think <laughs> that around the
1: world <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well you and Doc have that in common because when we were in West Texas he was just <laughs> chomping at the bit to get a tentilla
2: <laughs> yeah but yeah. blind snakes are like a whole another level at least tentillas is like almost like a at least it's got yeah, you know, some, eyes, some
0: pattern spiders. and color and eyes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blind snakes yeah. are the most smell foul smelling things on earth, too. I think they're they're horrible. The schweeze of a blind snake. I don't, oh, I don't
2: know. know. I've smelled Eric Burke's ass before. I reckon that's probably the most. Oh. I
1: can...
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: not going to ask about that story. <laughs> that's
1: good. That's good.
0: <laughs> uh, oh, uh, that's funny. Well, you got your your herb season's kind of winding down, right? It's getting colder I'm out there, not, or not so
2: in, much? Not, I'm in Queensland, mate. There's, there's no <laughs> such thing as – we just change our herping style. <laughs> um, nice. No, I, it is cooling down a bit. I had to put um, – I put all the hay bales and stuff in for the parentes and stuff like that this this week, mm-hmm. but then they're coming out anyway and now just basking on top of their fucking hay bales. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so – it's it's getting down. We're getting overnight lows of, like, um, oh, what would it be, say, 12 degrees, something like that, mm. and then daytime highs of about 30, so it is okay. cold. Yeah, but, but it's
0: heating up in the day.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's just this time of year, and then we'll, yeah. it, it's it'll get down another month. It'll probably get down to about five or six at night, and then mm. daytime highs of about 25, so... Yeah. You know, horrible cold weather, but everyone <laughs> else is going, that's not cold.
0: <laughs> yeah. We we drove down from uh, Utah down, took a dip in the ocean down in California and and there was nobody on the beach you know, it was windy and cold the water was pretty chilly uh, and uh, there was another family out there kicking around in the waves and i went up to the parking lot and they had a utah utah plates as well so <laughs> we were we were escaping the snow to come down to the ocean it wasn't that bad but yeah from for the californians they were all bundled up uh Crying in their bedrooms because it was too cold.
1: I was going to say, <laughs> Chucky's shaking his head right now.
0: <laughs> Chuck, yeah, Chuck knows. Every time I complain about snow, he's like, "Why do you think I live in California?" <laughs> so, yeah, he's got me. Mm. He's he's muted though, so he's trying to talk, but yeah, <laughs> you're, you're muted, Chuck. No, I got right it. Now. Yeah, I got there it now. Yeah, sorry,
3: oh, I was me. protecting you all from the. From the, the dog apocalypse bulbs. that just happened in here. <laughs> I think yeah. get Ruby out of here, she started trying to throw up in the living room.
0: Oh jeez. <laughs> <So fun. sighs> Scott Scott's got his dog as well.
2: Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm keeping my
0: dogs out of here too. They're, they're,
2: <laughs> she just uh, wanted it. to come in and like What is that thing?
0: thing? It looks like it's a cartoon. A ja- it's
2: a- It's a Jack Russell Cross (laughs) pug.
0: Yeah, that's about what what you would expect it to look like. That's (laughs) a a bug eyed wombat. (laughs)
2: Nice. She's a lot friendlier than Jasmine, who's the one outside. Yeah.
0: (laughs) We had a pit bull crossed with a dachshund or something like that. It was pretty pretty entertaining, little bug eyed thing like that. (laughs) That is a different dog. That is a different dog. That's wild. (laughs) Come on, move. Nice. Well, uh,
1: Phil, how's your uh, year going? Uh, it's going. Um, yeah. Critters are the same. I, uh, I, I purposely, I've never bred pythons on purpose. And mm-hmm. this year was going to be my first attempt at Fuscus. And I think they're just too small. They, they didn't yeah. attack each other. They really didn't care. They're kind of indifferent. And uh, no locks, no beehive, no nothing, just chilling, no inversion. So. Uh, What's yeah. the white? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just winging it, man. No, they're, they're realistically, they're, they're almost three years old, but I kept them real lean. They're probably four foot ish, but maybe I don't know less than three inches in diameter. Yeah, about that. Yeah, about that.
2: About that. Not Too bad. small. It's Wait till small. You get, once I get to about that big. About that. Okay. The male will no. be all right that size, but the female won't. Well, she won't produce the eggs.
1: Okay. Well, I'm glad it didn't stick. So, but and asses,
2: too. I, I find leashes is probably four years at least.
1: Okay. Well, you, you, can do, you
2: can do them. You can do them younger, right? Um, and people will. In partic- <clears throat> but I find just going that extra year, getting that extra bit of mass on them, um, makes that makes all the difference. You know, it's not so much the length, but it's the the, the mass there. That's and, good. I don't know. I think too, we try and breed our animals too young. I'd yeah, yeah. much rather try and do four years old and yeah, lose a season out and have an extra two or three seasons on the back end with the animal because you haven't fucking screwed up their reproductive yeah. system too early. Mm-hmm. Especially something
0: like a fuscus, man. You know, we'll yeah. give those guys a, <laughs> a few years. Of, um, I, we saw a monster female up, up in the Darwin area. Big old fuscus girl out crawl, crawling around in the in the woods. It was pretty cool. Pretty cool snake. Um, a lot of smaller ones on the dam there at Fog Dam, but. Um,
2: well, they get to eight feet. Yeah, and, and and you don't tend to see eight footers in captivity, mm-hmm. and yeah. then you you see an eight foot one, and you're like, holy shit, I didn't yeah. realize they get this big. Yeah, and it's, and it's like, yeah, they do, but, yeah, I mean, well, also, Elliot- I mean, they're such a horrible thing to keep for the most part. And-
1: <laughs> I love them. They're awesome. The uh, Elliot yeah. sent me a video, uh, he was working in this wetland area, and he's like, hey, man, i got to fuss this video for you, and he said to me on Facebook, and it's just like a video of his two boots in, I don't know, eight to ten inches of water, and He's got to be a size 10 and a half, 11 shoe and all of a sudden you just see this monster band band of body slither in between his two feet and you're like what is it looks it's like retic size and then he goes over and like kind of moves the the, the reeds or the grass with his hand and you see it's it's a fuscus and it's just gargantuan. <laughs> Thick as his leg, crazy. Oh, cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you get those big big ones uh, every once in a while. They're pretty impressive animals out there. Yeah. 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 And, uh, well, it's herping season in full bore out in Florida. Uh,
1: yes and no. Um, hmm. I recently did a little bit of not even road cruising, more just like scouting with the misses, and uh, haven't seen any pygmies yet. I think it, it, we missed like a couple of March windows, but we we'll be getting crazy rain, and hmm. it, even though the areas that we go herping are they're they're naturally meant to get that much water. I still think it keeps stuff at bay, um, even less mammals. And there's so much water now that even places that were known for like a lot of shorebirds, like pink, pink spoonbills and sandpipers and stuff like that. They're just not around. Cause it's just too wet. Um, mm. But saw a bunch of, Narodia and saw some garters and we saw a pair of juvenile florida panthers two weeks oh, ago wow. which was crazy oh, yeah i did hear you talking about yeah that. that's, that's and uh awesome. that was the closest i've ever been uh, i've wow. been really really lucky to see a lot of silhouettes over the past 20 mm-hmm. years but this yeah. was like full color like wow. could have could have hit him with a rock <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean and that's to see crazy. two of them
0: was yeah. wild That's a rare event. I think I've seen one. Yeah, cougar up here, and it was Mm -hmm. the back half of it as it was crossing a road. You know, diving into the forest. I caught the tail and the back legs, and that was about it.
1: Yeah, that's all the proof you need. Don't stick around much. Yeah, Yeah, that's all the proof you need. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And 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 Anna Marie is like that wasn't panthers Those weren't Panthers. Those were Bobcats. I was like, there's no spots and it had a tail. She's like, <laughs> I don't know. And like, we drove another 20, 30 minutes to get some cell service. And uh-huh. she's like, you, you could, s- I'm driving. And I see her in the passenger seat, like looking at her phone, scrolling with her finger. And she's like, mm, mm, yeah, <laughs> yep, that's, they were yeah, Panthers. Yep.
0: <laughs> nice. So. Yeah. We, we had, we found a, a baby, um, Cougar that had fallen and, uh, and died in in oh, Zion. Damn. It was in, we were doing some canyons and down into Zion, and and uh, it was just kind of laying in the wash, you know, the creek bed, and um. But for, it was still cold, so it was kind of frozen, and you know, rigor mortis had set in or whatever. Yeah. So we, we set it up like like a, on the edge of a rock to see. <laughs> oh, I don't know, <laughs> it was just. You know, probably warped sense of humor, but of course. <laughs> I thought that would be hilarious it. to watch people. Yeah, uh, but no no people were coming while we were hanging out, so we, we took <laughs> off. But hopefully somebody got a, a good startle out of that. But yeah, or maybe <laughs> yeah. another predator got a quick meal. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're amazing cats. I, I read somewhere that there was somebody doing research on them and they had some collared and so they knew where they were, you know. And uh they they, uh I can't remember. Oh, they were they were you know looking at them through a scope, and they were probably mile two miles away, and they find this cat and it's looking directly at them like it knows exactly where wow. they are two miles off. You know, wild. Those things are yeah not gonna be snuck up on or something.
1: Well, I was listening it's to crazy. A, it's funny you mentioned that I was listening to a hunting podcast and uh, Steve Vernella or one of the guys you know and. They were talking about how at any given moment, the state of Florida, the biologists, they know there's a between like forty and fifty adult panthers in the state. Mm-hmm. And they assume there's more that they just haven't like seen or or, or, or interacted with or whatever. Yeah. But they know for a fact from that and from roadkill, because there's a lot of them get hit by cars, especially yeah. on Highway 29 that goes right up the middle of the Everglades. And the the hunting podcast, they were talking about how this is one of the most elusive animals on the planet, and we know from roadkill and science that there's at least 50 adults a year. How come we haven't found Bigfoot? And (laughs) basically they they did like the, they did like the backyard statistics and it was like, okay, if you've seen a panther, you're, do you, if you've seen a wild Florida panther that was not in like a zoo or a park or something, that means you're 2000 times a higher chance of seeing Sasquatch, <laughs> something to that extent. Yeah, so I was like, yeah. "Well, man, I've seen a lot of panthers, so I should I should see a lot of Bigfoot." You know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sorry, uh, Owen. There's there's no yeah, Bigfoot. Exactly. You got to stop chasing Bigfoot, yeah. man. It's it's <laughs> ridiculous. It's getting ridiculous. Or, or as Casey Cannon <laughs> likes
1: to say, "American bears." Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. I
0: yeah. The only explanation is they're shaving and just blending in among us, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> My uh, theory was that Owen is part Sasquatch, and that's why he doesn't want anybody looking for him. Yeah, because yeah. they'll find him, you know. Exactly. <laughs> he he's got that five percent Sasquatch blood. Exactly. So <laughs> his grandpa was a Sasquatcher. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um. All right. Well, uh, we've you guys have uh, kind of I think it was Scott that. Kind of sent out the challenge, the glove slap to yes, to my cheek still hurts. Goad you, in, goad you into a discussion on uh, or a fight on uh, the is there a best first venomous snake to keep? Is that the kind of sum it up there?
2: Yeah, look, I, I suppose anyone that's been around venomous a long time is like this is like the ultimate debate that goes around. I'm sure anyone that's been. Works with Venomous had this bloody conversation at some point in time where someone goes, "Oh, what's the best first Venomous to keep?" And someone <laughs> says, "It should be this." And then yeah, so
0: okay. Well, I have anyway. The, without have without,
2: without without tipping my hand, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I you know, I've uh, I have my own personal opinion on this, <laughs> but then I have argued with many a decent person over the years, so I think I know both sides so of the argument pretty well. Well, let's, Why, let's Scott, the, you have, the, you
3: have <laughs> your own personal opinion on this? Let's
2: just done the thing completely.
1: The answer is clear and cliche. The best first venomous snake for anyone is someone else's snake. <laughs> That's,
0: all right. Oh. We, we kind of talked about that back with you a while back, huh? Uh, uh, mentoring did. under... We, we touched base on it was, yeah. a little bit, yeah. 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 We did. I, I also well, feel like
1: <clears throat> there's some stipulations to this question, too, because I feel like there's, there's, there's no a lot of... I know, but just because I want this conversation to go as as ah, stop, clear Rudy. as we ah. can, as clear as we can. <laughs> no, Easy, no. Ruby. Hey, hey! Look, if you can't if you can't <laughs>
2: articulate clearly, that sounds like a you fucking problem. No, so, well, no, I, no, I can articulate. Uh, I, I, hang on. before before. No, yeah, no, 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 yeah, no! No more on, stipulations. On. Flip the fucking coin, Justin, and let's get started, and then we can stipulate as much as we like. Okay. All, right, all, all right. I'm hearing is just you, bitch, 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 <laughs> trying well, to make up.
1: <laughs> I can't look a guy, a guy or a gal who's getting into venomous can't afford a death adder as a first venomous because it's fucking two grand. So, can, if we take money off the table and just look at the animals themselves and assume that everything is a dollar, <laughs> I think that'll make the conversation better.
0: All right. Well, let's flip the coin. Who's who's calling it? Yeah. Oh, look,
2: ladies first. go first. I was, was going to say, let's. Ah. Call
0: it <laughs> All right. Well, I'm flipping it. You, whoever can call it can call it. Better.
1: Obverse. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So you flipped it, all right, Chuck? What it's is waiting. it? What, what, what
1: yeah. is it, Chuck? New, <laughs> <will> be- <laughs> new, no, no,
0: no, no. All right, let's go distance first. Scott, you call it. There you go. <laughs> oh, it yeah, go heads. It is heads. So you got the you got the call. Which oh. side you want to take?
2: <laughs> all right, I will go that there is no such thing as a good first venomous.
1: Damn it, Iper. <laughs> All right, all right. Well, all right. And, <laughs>
2: and now, you... now, and since, and since that I have chosen, would you like to defend or would you like to start, Phil? What would you like to do?
1: I want you to start. This is your shebang.
2: And there, you, and there you go, Phil. You can kick off as well.
1: <laughs> right.
2: Well played, sir. Well played. But we
1: call Man. that the
3: sneaky
2: chuck. That yeah, sneaky
3: that, chuck. that's definitely all now right. the sneaky chuck.
0: That's
2: good. That's right. Right. Now, now you can try and put your bitch ass fucking stipulations in as much.
1: as Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so uh, clearly, blood all has right. been all right. drawn. It's all, right. it's all right. It's all right. We're good. We're good. We're in business. So let's start with this. We. If we So clearly, Scott and his brethren down under don't have access to a lot of the species that many other people in the world have access to, whether it be mm-hmm. because they don't work in a zoo or let, the laws don't permit them to have stuff that's not native or what have you. So I want to kind of take that and work with it as well as against it. I also want to take the money aspect out of it, too, because let's say Scott says that – and we mentioned death adders earlier. Let's say that Scott says the death adder is the best first venomous snake, or I say that. The problem is, is that a death adder in Australia is relatively inexpensive because – a lot of people breed them and there's a lot of different subspecies and species and races and everything else about it but in the United States it's very very small and they're very very expensive most of them start at least a thousand to twelve hundred dollars for a baby and go up from there and a lot of people that are getting into venomous may not have those funds allocated for their first pet right or their first kept reptile in <laughs> the venomous regard mm-hmm. so in my opinion there's that old adage of you gotta you gotta crawl before you can walk and I would say we assume that there is a lot of education a lot of homework a lot of ment- mentorship and apprenticeship and interning that goes along with all of that and as someone who has mentored other people as well as been mentored myself uh, or been, been mentored myself I would say that you work with whatever is available within reason So if I'm an apprentice or an intern, I'm brand new, and I'm going to work with someone who has a very large collection, and they have a baby, they have a a juvenile cobra, they have a juvenile copperhead, and they have a juvenile rattlesnake, I'm not going to start with the cobra, because I don't necessarily have the technique to work with those higher speed and, and, and less tolerant body mechanics, right? At the same time, though, it is dependent on the individual animal. And it's also dependent on how well the person is being taught. It also depends on how well the person that is trying to handle has bad habits or not. Are they already a keeper? Are they already a herper? Have they already worked with stuff that was not in this genre? And are they taking those harmless, bad habits and keeping them in their mind? Or, have they, or do they don't have any habits at all and they're fresh and blank and starting with a blank slate? So that would be my first throw at it. Okay.
2: So I'll take your money thing. We'll start off with that.
1: All
2: right. I completely disagree. If you want to keep venomous snakes, you need to have cash. It's as simple as that. To do okay. it properly, to set your room up right, even a basic room. But we're not
1: talking about We're, we're talking about the animal.
2: That's irrelevant. It's all cut. We're talking about venomous keeping. We're not okay. talking about venomous right. snake right. indi- right. as the individual. Right. We're on. talking about Go venomous on. keeping, right? Yeah. So, I'm not talking about somebody that. Is is sitting there drinking beer, smoking cigarettes in a trailer park that's got fucking no sense at all, and go, Oh, I think it'd be a good idea. I'll go up to fucking White Plains and I'll grab myself a hamburger and grab myself a fucking copperhead and an alligator and a king cobra, and you know, I've still got change out of 50 bucks. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about responsible venomous keeping, right? So, Touche. let's maybe start the conversation off in that regard, right? All right. Um, the venomous community has an expectation across it that we should be doing things in a relatively professional manner and to do things in a relatively professional manner takes cost, right? Now, at the very least, you need to set up a room, right? Ideally, a separate building, but hey, a, a, room's, a room's perfectly adequate, right? But to set up and snake-proof that room adequately and have cages in it that suit, suit the mark, then you're going to have significant costs involved the animal cost is fairly small n- compared to the room the room setup cost, right? So, you know, you're talking about covering every vent, uh, setting up either a double door system or setting up some sort of fail safe on the door to prevent escape, right? Then you've got to set your enclosures up. Then you need to get all of the tools that are involved, right? And then you can start to even consider keeping venomous snakes, okay? Now it is an old adage and it's one that is out there the best first venomous is someone else's is not yours right now i know you said that earlier and and, at the end of the day we were all someone was always going to say it right and that's then that is the reality right so that at the end of the day that's the crux of my argument the crux of my argument is the best first venomous for somebody is someone else's right now that said you know, many of the venomous people, myself included in the community, didn't start with somebody else. But then at the same time, also, too, there's lots of us in the venomous communities that made lots of um, fairly fundamental errors, too, that have ended up paying for it in some way, shape, or form, you know. Um, and it's, it's not much fun getting any venom, I'm not you. Sure. Over to you, well- sir.
1: Well, I'll I'll give Scott the point on that one for sure. Great, great. My flaw in that, that first initial question is that I made the assumption. We know what happens when you assume. I made the assumption that they already had things set up. They already had... Hooks and tools and an idea of how they were going to keep it and where they're going to keep it and all that because
2: name, I, name me one venomous one one green venomous person that you've ever seen that has never spoken to another venomous person that has all this shit together name me one
1: I think I think it's tough because the majority of the they don't fucking that,
2: exist Phil well no, they don't the problem, exist
1: mate. no the problem is is that in Florida I have to people have to have all this stuff ready before they're allowed to buy one while as in a state like Texas that they don't, I haven't really worked with those people. And that's a mistake that I've made in this debate and that I see where, I see where you're coming from because like I said, in Florida, you can't buy anything until all everything that you said is already done. So they've already dished out all those expenses and stuff. But again, taking my shoes out of Florida, again, point to Scott, if I lived in Texas, I'd probably find a lot of those people, sadly to say. Well, that was
0: my when i was a kid you know we'd be on a backpacking trip or something and we'd find a rattlesnake and i'd say hey dad can i take this home and i'd take it home and keep it in the tank in my room and <laughs> i was a venomous keeper you know and i had a venomous snake and uh, fortunately nothing ever you know no no uh, bites or anything like that ever occurred but uh, i found out of course, that's illegal to to just collect a venomous snake and keep it in Utah. So I got rid of those snakes, but uh, you know I kept them for probably a good five six years before I I got rid of them. But, so yeah, that's uh, I think there's probably a lot of people like that out there, especially you know 20, 30, 40 years ago, um, much more so than now. I think we have much yeah, better sure. information yeah. out there on to what what constitutes Agreed. a. Responsible venomous keeper, but.
2: yeah, yeah, well and, and I suppose, and I suppose that's the thing, right? So, bringing back the the argument to, to what we're talking about in the sense that the, the strictly speaking, it was, um, you know, what constitutes as a good first venomous, you know, and I'm saying that there isn't. Um, the the next point to that, or the the thing is, is that regardless of the species that you choose, right, whether you go with a a southern copperhead, a pygmy rattlesnake, a, a, a collet snake or a, a red belly or a, a spittle or a, a viper beris or, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless of the species you choose, there is always individual specimens that are the opposite to that, right? Mm-hmm. And then there is also the argument that if people are wanting to keep king cobras, and that's all they want to keep is king cobras. The king cobras is their, their main focus in life. Working with a southern copperhead as an, as an analogue beforehand probably isn't going to help you that much mm-hmm. in regards to how to manage if your end goal is to work with, with king cobras. And so having a, a discussion about what you're wanting to get out of venomous keeping, and what you're, where you're wanting to go, and what your, traject, your plan trajectory is, um, has a significant implication on what a suitable first venomous snake might be. Obviously, with the exception of the... and, and predating predicating that we should always be going to somebody that has worked with venomous before, and ideally the best ven- first venomous snake for somebody is someone else's that they can work under a mentor.
1: see, I... I understand everything you're saying and I agree with it. My only can my only thing is that if we're assuming that they have been training under someone else or with multiple people and they're learning the the skills and techniques, I don't think someone who wants to keep King Cobras as their end goal, I don't think it would be a bad thing for them to keep something like a copperhead or a pygmy rattlesnake or a Burros because they're still maintaining the same protocol. They're still burning those muscle memory things in their mind, how to unlock the cage, how to open the cage, what tools to use, what tools not to use, and, and learning those motions and learning all those all the muscle memory that guys like us take for granted because we've been doing it forever, that they're learning all that. And then they're still going to need to adapt it and modify it and mold it towards you know, a King Cobra because it's clearly vastly different. But the basic foundation of the handling of the safety and the protocol is the same. So I feel like even though someone uh, who their end goal is King Cobra, it can't hurt for them to have kept or worked with lesser intensity of Snake, if that makes sense.
2: I, I completely disagree. I think it, it can. Isn't
1: that? I, isn't think
2: that it, a, I think it can, right? Because this is the problem, right? If you, if you were to go, all right, my safe zone is is two feet away from this box, and then if I open this up and I'm going to have a, uh, a distance of – I need to set my room up so I've got two feet of distance and I need this and I need that and all the rest of it and then they go to work with the king and they need six foot of distance and they don't know how to open an enclosure and they're not used to having a snake that moves eight feet at them right you are now putting yourself in a completely dangerous situation and the the learnings that you need to have are completely off all your distances are off everything's off
1: yeah, right. but you have to you have to extrapolate for the difference of species and the difference of size and the difference of animal. People people are idiots; they don't extrapolate at all. I, right, but that but we're assuming. We're, you see, you're assuming that they're not gonna they're not gonna think about this at all. I'm assuming that they've already thought about this and that they're working towards it. You see, many, what I'm getting at?
2: many keepers you met?
1: <laughs> yeah. Like,
2: like that's, okay, that's, you, you you can stop stop thinking about the the 90 percent of venomous keepers that are decent, and think about the ten percent fuckwits out there. Sorry, I shouldn't swear, but that but that's that's where it's at. It's the I'm not worried about that. The ninety percent of the people that are decent out there, they're fine. I don't care about those ones. It's the ten percent that are. They're the ones that hurt us in the hobby. They're the ones that let bloody. Zebra cobras go fucking walk about for three months and not tell anyone. And they're the ones that cause us issues.
1: True. Very true. Right. Yeah, but I, I don't see. How do I phrase this? I don't see someone. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive. Maybe I am. I don't see someone being like, yeah, man, my first snake's going to be King Cobra. Let's do this. And they just go out and buy the first 13 footer import Indonesian snake. that they come across like most people, are not going to do that because of what it is
2: i literally know people that have never kept venomous and their second venomous snake two weeks in was a coastal type in
1: that's
2: right and you know that's in they literally did that and i sat there and i just and you know (laughs) they had to have their first aid and they had to have somebody do a uh, reference to say that they were suitable for keeping animal snakes, they got that shit and they literally got a coastal taipan two weeks in.
0: Oh.
2: So, oh. So, so every to every, <laughs> yeah well it didn't go as planned, put it that way, let's leave it at that. right? And, and so as much as you say people shouldn't do this and they're not going to do this and all the rest of it time and time again people show us that they do stupid shit.
0: Isn't isn't there a tiered system in Australia for you know what you can keep and and when? In, Don't you have to have a certain number, or is that state by state? In
2: some places, oh. yeah, it's state by state. So mm-hmm. some places got tiered systems. We've got tiered systems now, but we didn't historically. Um, mm-hmm. Victoria doesn't have a tiered system. You get your you pay your money for your advanced license. You're over eighteen, and get yourself a saltwater crocodile and a, a coastal type in tomorrow. And there's people wow. out there that will sell sell them to you. Yeah. Wow! And not not every venomous person is responsible too. Like yeah. we're anally, you know, Ty are anally retentive when it comes to choosing who our venomous snakes go to, hmm. um, because we want the animals to survive and we want the animals to be looked after properly. Hmm. Um, right. So it, it's not everybody's responsible, unfortunately.
1: I feel like, and I totally agree with you. I do, and and you're bringing a lot of light to what I was being honestly naive to. And, and for that, I appreciate it. Um, I just, I think maybe because of all the newbies that I've seen over the years, especially in Florida, most of them, if not all of them had extensive work with a wide assortment of different species, regardless of what their end goal was. And then they, they worked up to that. So like someone who, again, we'll use King Cobra because it's so extreme, Someone whose heart and soul wants to—the end result is King Cobra. They've worked with countless different sized species, and then fully matured to to high speed lapids, and then maybe even worked with some juvenile kings and some larger kings, and found someone who had some big diesel kings and learned from them. They they didn't just go and buy it, and and I feel like that's my that's my flaw in this argument is that i was not considering or thinking about the yahoo who's at hamburg going man look at that 12 foot king cobra in that box i'm taking that home i got 1200 bucks in my pocket so
2: yeah but that's that's, how uh, you know that's that's how someone ends up with a fucking tiger you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's the same and this is the same thing right someone goes and you see it in big cats you see it in all sorts of stuff you know someone goes oh I'm going to bring myself a tiger home or I'm going to do this. And okay, yeah, it's a snake that's this long in a box initially. But in 18 months' time, that snake is now eight feet long, nine feet long, and it doesn't go back into that plastic box very easily anymore. And then suddenly you're dealing with an incident because somebody either... And there's one of two things happen, right? The person either catches up and learns how to deal with it or they don't learn how to deal with it. And if they don't learn how to deal with it, two things happen then, right? You either have an animal that's neglected, right? Or you have a person that gets bitten. It's one of the two. That's that's the reality, right? Um, and so unless there's a, some sort of support network for the people that are working with these things, um, that becomes an issue. So again... It comes back to, I don't think there is a best first venomous. I think it's the best first venomous to someone else's and then you gain the experience to then work out what your trajectory is going to be because you might come into working with venomous and go, all I want to do is keep a king cobra and then the first time you actually work with a king cobra or you see someone else work with a king cobra ideally, right, and that king doesn't behave itself and it, it charges at the person and it growls at them, that person then the might eye. turn around and go, you know what, I don't want to go down that road anymore. True. right? And I've seen that with people with Taipans. I, I used to have people come and say, oh, I want to keep Taipans. And I'd pull out a Taipan that is spirited, shall we say. Spunky. Right? And you pull out something that has a little spunk to it, and you see the people's face... And they go, no, I don't want to work with Thylane anymore, right? And you know these things. Are, and when you explain to people, is it, yeah, okay, you might get anything, you might survive, but it is a may, yeah. it is a might thing. It's not the it's not a guarantee, right? And then suddenly you're like, oh, well, actually, maybe I don't want to keep those things anymore. So. Um, <sighs>
0: So so yeah. if if only about 10% of the venomous keeping population is uh, you know or are, are morons and you know the the rest of them are are doing things the right way or hopefully yep. you know moving in the right direction what let's talk to that group you know what kind of what would you recommend or what would you think is is a reasonable first venomous snake for for somebody that's just getting into it I mean is that so, does that argument still stand that if you're trying to get into it legitimately that okay, there is we, no we can, best first or you know you know what
2: i mean I, I still i still say that there's no best first venomous because it's a case-by-case case basis mm-hmm. yeah but it's you still you a case-by-case case basis you can also argue that if you
1: if you have someone who's completely novice and that maybe they've worked with a little bit of harmless stuff i don't know corn snakes ball pythons whatever and they want to dabble to see if they really like it they're I would much rather have them interact with a copperhead or a pygmy rattlesnake or a deaf adder than I would say a baby cobra or, or a, an adult western diamondback you see, or, or an adult collets. You know what I mean? And I feel like even s- those species are more tolerant of us, especially someone who doesn't know what they're doing, than, say, there's, species that aren't.
2: There's species out there that pro- that provide less risk for the most part. To people, right, and that they would be more applicable, more applicable as a first venomous, right. But what that species is for me versus you versus Justin versus Chuck may all be different.
1: Sure, and I'm not even talking about toxicity. I'm talking about like riding a hook or general husbandry. How 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 easy it is to feed them, opposed to other species that need more uh, attentiveness. And I feel like it. Someone who wants to end goal type hands, it would t- dynamically behoove them to start with something that will ride a hook and eat every time and work with that for a while, whether it be someone else's or theirs, uh, whether it be a copperhead or a cotton mouth or um, the cerastes. You see what I'm saying? And then they say, see, you know that's what?
2: That's interesting, right? So you're saying, so all right, so I'll ask a question here from based on what you just said then, sure. Is do you if you're wanting to get somebody to learn, you want them to start with something that rides a hook. Uh,
1: if they have no idea what they're doing, absolutely, because I want their experience wow, the
2: exact to opposite. be
1: a good experience. No, the I'm the here's exact it. opposite, so, so, right? wait, so, you, I, so hang on, hang on, let me all finish. Right. Go on, go right?
2: On. The exact you want somebody to be able to deal with something that's a problem. You're dealing. Eventually. You're getting pe- No, no, no. You're getting. You're wanting people to deal with problems, right? Not the not the the easy way out, right? Yeah, I could hand you a death adder that sits on a hook every day of the week, right? And then you'll you'll have the pre misconception, and it is a misconception that you know how to handle death adders because the death adder that you handle sits on a fucking hook. Yeah, but right, you're, you're, you're if I the... give you a death adder that's like a piece of wet spaghetti that is never going to sit on a hook, and you learn mm. how to hook that, and mani- learn how to manage that snake, right? Then when that death adder that usually sits on a hook sits on a hook, you're like, oh, well, this is easy. But you still have the tools and the ability to work with the animal that doesn't want to sit on the hook. Because that death adder that always sits on a hook won't sit on the hook hook one day. Sure. Right? Sure. And if you don't have the ability to be able to do that, right, and deal with that
1: snake... Then you just shot yourself in the foot. Well, all right. So let me say this. I don't know how the driver's license system is in Australia, but let's assume you have a 16-year-old human being okay, who has driven with their parents, who has driven in a car with friends, who has been a passenger in an automobile their entire mm-hmm. 16 years. Do you say, hey, here's a set of keys, let's go to a parking lot and learn how to, you know, idle the car and put it in drive and maybe shift and use the clutch and whatever else and learn in a in a controlled environment in a parking lot? Or do you say, here's the key, start it up, you're on the side of the highway, traffic's booking it, you know, 100 kilometers an hour, figure it out. Like, no, I want to start them off with a controlled scenario in a parking lot and then say, oh, yeah, you didn't know that if you let go of the church steering wheel, it's going to move on its own. It's going to write itself. That's the same way that I'm looking at it. Yeah, they yeah, may but they have. Could,
2: but the controlled situation here is the species that you're choosing.
1: Right, the uh, the species that I'm choosing as well as the individual animal that I'm choosing because I'm not going to give them the wet noodle right out of the gate because I don't want their first experience to be a negative one. I don't want them to get frustrated. I want them to to learn basic mechanics. Yeah, see, I want them to learn basic mechanics and and, and and learn the muscles and the techniques and the thought process of how it's going to go, and then eventually, once they've gotten pretty good at that, then we'll give them the wet noodle and say, look, here's the same exact animal that does not ride a hook, and now you need to have a container within a container because it's going to slide right off, and you may need to have rubber tip forceps or two hooks or whatever it may be, and work their way through that parking lot before you throw them on the highway. You see what I'm but, didn't you
2: say, but didn't you say that these people already have exposure to snakes?
1: Well, and that's the thing is that they may have exposure to snakes, but that may not be anything. That that may be as simple as I have a corn snake in a 10-gallon fish tank, and my extent of handling it is reaching it and picking it up and taking it out. They're not using tools to open the enclosure. They're not using tools. You can the... can do the... that. You can do that with venomous too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You make yeah, a yeah. mistake, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. But and I see what you're going. I, I a thousand percent see what you're driving at. But for me, if I'm if someone is has bad habits from keeping harmless or no habits at all because they've never kept snakes or kept reptiles before, I can't just give them the keys to the Maserati on the on the shoulder of a fast highway and say, knock yourself out, man.
2: See so yeah. the thing is, right, is that if you're working with venomous, right, you should be you should already have some clue as to what you're doing, right? And so you should already, okay. if you from a captive point of view, you should be working with non-venomous snakes beforehand. And so when you're saying about in using your analogy, they should already be able to drive a car.
1: But see, that's the thing is, that there's I would rather teach someone who has never driven a car before and has no bad habits than someone who has been driving wrong for 20 years. You know, and I used to get guys in the in the in the pet shop because we used to do the venomous classes in the pet shop. And they'd be like, "Hey man, I've kept boas, I've kept pythons for like 10 years. I really want to move on to venomous. I kind of want to, you know, expand my horizons." And I'm like, "All right, cool. Show me how to take out this, you know, rat snake, you know. And they just do everything wrong. And I say, all right, cool. Now let's go do it to this pygmy rattlesnake. And the mindset changes, right? Because they know it's dangerous. They know it's actually dangerous, but they have so many bad habits that are very difficult to undo that they that it takes them twice as long to, to undo them, to, to learn the correct technique in the correct proper way. So I would rather train someone who's never kept a pet snake. They've only had lizards their whole life than someone who has kept boas and pythons and harmless colubrids.
2: Personally, hmm. I don't so disagree. Yeah, I don't you, disagree that you, you it, it's easier as a trainer training somebody that's blank slate, but that doesn't mean that they are better. They're necessarily going to be a better starter.
0: Does that exist, right. though? I mean, are there people out there that just go, I only want to work with venomous reptiles, and so they're waiting to, to From a start that po- journey?
2: Or From a catching point of view, yeah, definitely. I teach people all the time that are completely green. Yeah. You know, so exactly. when I'm teaching people in the industry how to how to catch some of the most toxic snakes in the world, I suppose, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm teaching them, and they, they have no interest in working with snakes, and they're actually really easy to work with they're really easy to teach because they listen to what you actually tell them to do um, but working with a venomous snake in a, in a wild situation versus a, a captive situation is very different and yeah. Yeah. you know the reality of it is is that if you work with venomous snakes right and we and I, I don't really care which which species it is in a captive situation at some point in time you need to use these things, your hands right and you're going to put your hands on that snake at some point right now it's it's all a big learning curve on on how you put your hands on those animals and it's a big teaching thing on how you put your hands on those animals because the minute that you take away the hook the minute you take away the tube the minute you take away the jigger etc is when you're actually going skin to skin to scale so to speak that's when the 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 risk level completely heightens and that's where i start to look at you know best first venomous that's where it becomes an issue because one of the you know people say death adders are a good first venomous in australia and they i've heard them say it overseas as well you know you want to get into keeping venomous you know death adders if you can get your hands on them because they used to be cheap right phil Mm -hmm. they did used to be a 50 dollars snake sure absolutely
1: Papua new guinea retail for 150 bucks not anymore Yeah. Yeah.
2: uh, yeah but they used to right so they used to be a fairly cheap animal um Death adders are great. They're a great, easy, venomous snake to keep when everything's going right, right? But at the moment, you know, I'm currently, me and Ty, are force-feeding a shitload of baby death adders at the moment. We're putting our hands on them all the time. And that's a dangerous activity because you've got to pin them down and then you've got to try and pick them up and then hold them in the right spot. And they've got large mobile fangs that can pop out the side of their jaws or pop out from underneath their jaws. And if you don't know where you're putting your hands exactly... Right, you're gonna get yourself into a position that is a problem. Right? When you also pin that snake, they spin that violently in their body that they can snap their neck. Right. We've got to remember that the first venomous person, right, the first time that they're working with venomous snakes, it's not when they've got somebody standing over their shoulder that's that is when they're going to perform poorly. They're gonna perform poorly when no one else is in the room. Right? And they don't even know that they're making the mistakes at the time, and that's where the concern is, yeah. right? And whether that that first venomous is a a pygmy rattlesnake, a death adder, or a fucking taipan is irrelevant, right? At the end of the day, it's it's still going to be a problem. Now, I would suggest that you know there's certainly a, a whole suite of species out there that are probably a little bit more forgiving, right?
1: yeah towards
2: uh, you know towards people beginning and it allows people to make more mistakes without having a a the, the worst case scenario event taking place right sure it's not to say that they can't do it but it's just to say right. that there's they're more tolerant of it right, right. and and you know i, I suppose cop are probably one of those um kiss for not? i should add into that yeah um so, there is stuff out there that, that is relatively good. You know, Boiga melanota, you know, the, the mangrove snakes are probably yeah. a pretty good case. Um, uh, hognose snakes, uh, Loya um, though Madagascan hogs, etc., etc. Yeah, technically venomous, but I mean, they can teach people how to work with large mobile mobile snakes with having less of a chance of a serious invenomation, I suppose. Um, but are they the best first venomous? It depends on what you're trying to get out of it and depends on what those people are trying to do. That's true. And so to argue a particular species is, is a pest versus venomous, I don't think is a possible thing.
1: Yeah, I think... Over it, to it, you, Phil. It, it, I think I, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you at all. I'm not. I will say, though, it, as much as we talk about it being the species or the individual animal, it's and it really comes down to the circumstances too, like I said earlier, I was naive in thinking that people were doing their homework and getting their training and doing all that. And there are a lot of people out there that are not. Um,
2: There's also a I lot would... of people that, that are too, right? I'm, sure, not, saying, I'm sure. not taking anything yeah, yeah. away from those people. No, yeah, we were people, saying
1: but... the, the, the 90% or whatever. And yeah. it's that sick. And the, I feel like it would still behoove the, the, the veteran keepers to make recommendations like – a Kistradon simply for the rudimentary training as well as the more tolerance of the animal, more tolerance of the species. And and I would say that I have no problem personally telling people, look, you, you should train with what you want to keep, but if you're super green, you should not be going right for the gusto. And one of the biggest things in the United States is Gaboon Vipers. Everyone wants a Gaboon Viper until they actually keep it, and they realize that it's a super pain-in-the-ass snake. They never move. When you want them to move, they don't. they don't. They don't respond well to hooks at all. You have to use double hooks for everything, wide hooks, V-hooks, all that stuff. And they're extremely chill until they're not, and they lash out irrationally. And everyone wants to keep a Gaboon Viper. So everyone's like, oh, yeah, I'll get a baby Gaboon. It's great. It just sits there, rides a hook. And it's like that is not a good beginner animal, in my opinion. There's nothing wrong with keeping one. I keep them, right? It's working up to that and learning the traits of it. And, yeah, you may be using a copperhead to start and then eventually move on from that to something in the bitish genus, right? But everyone wants to get this Gaboon Viper. And then they get it and they hate it or better yet they get to the point where they're ready to get it and they've lost interest because they've already worked with a bunch of other people's stuff and it's it's lost its luster you know they realize that it takes a special person to enjoy it even though everyone has them it takes a certain individual to to keep them to long term if anything if that makes sense so
2: i I suppose it's interesting like we We've published on on working with venomous snakes and keeping venomous snakes and stuff, and
1: literally one of the wrote things, the book. <laughs> uh,
2: wrote, a, wrote a book. Well, wrote a, the, a book. Or two, the book. Wrong. The book. Uh, and so, and so, you know, we got asked by the publisher, "Could you recommend the first venomous?" And we said no. Right, and the reason that we decided that we would not say this is a good first venomous because we don't know the people's situations however what i can do and what i'm always happy to do is tell a whole heap of people a whole heap of snakes that aren't good first venomous right and so so. I i can tell you a heap of stuff that is not suitable as first venomous but i can't tell you what is what is a a good first venomous right So, anything that's in Sheetanea, anything that's in Oxyuranus, any of that's in Dendroaspis, any of that stuff, you know, Protobothrops, um, Bothrops itself, um, all of that stuff is just a fucking no. (laughs) You don't work with that stuff as a first, right? Um, So, there's a lot of stuff out there that is not a good first venomous. But, at the same time, it's not to say that you can't work up to working with those species. if That's what your end goal is. So...
0: Yeah. Mm. Do, you, do you find that uh, um, more experience keepers get a little lackadaisical and so you almost have a better um, student with somebody who is less experienced because they, they're Acutely aware of you know the danger that they're dealing with, like in the in the lab, you know we have new new people working with viruses, and they're always kind of on their best behavior and always wearing their PPE and you know those kind of things because they know you know if I mess this up, I'm, I might get infected, I might die of a viral infection, you know that kind of thing. So do you have a similar situation with with venomous keeper Whereas you know the people who have been working here for five years. Things often happen to them because they just stop, you know, focusing on the danger, and they start getting into the mundane routine of it, and that's when they get, you know, you know, have an incident Um, in the lab.
2: Yes, yes, and no. I think the I think the problem is is that it's a it's a a trajectory, right? And and each person Mm -hmm. is 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 different. So to make assumptions on on. On people as a whole it's a it's a pain in the ass but i've worked with a lot of venomous people over the years and i've had a lot of people come from overseas and things like that and come around and i've worked with venomous snakes with them and and seen the way that they experienced people have worked with venomous and it's pretty clear that some people are experienced and it's pretty clear that some people aren't um at the same time um you know i also experienced it recently where you know we're we we went overseas and the, you know we were catching vipers and and all sorts of stuff um, and you know I'd never handled you know insularis before and I caught them just fine I didn't mm-hmm. get myself in any positions that I was in any risk um, and then we were catching Latikordata and the people were freaking out and you're know, like mate this is a, this is a lappet I'm used to working with these things and they were like oh oh really you, oh you can handle it yeah i'm just handling a, a laddie quarter so yeah it's 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 not hard i was a hell of a lot more comfortable though dealing with a laddie quarter than i was a trimassurus mm-hmm. sure. Right, and a trimassurus is something that is you know i've seen before people have said oh yeah trimassurus keep them they're not, they're not a hard thing to keep well yeah i work with type bands. i don't find them them hard to work with either, but you get the wrong person around the Taipan and they have trouble too. So it just depends on your experience levels and it depends on how willing you are to understand that you are a novice with things. And so when I approach that trimissurus, I approached it with a a good safe distance. I judge the length of the snake and this is what experience does allow you to do is it allows you to, to look at the length of that animal and go, well, if that animal is is 450 millimeters long i know it can't strike any further than 450 millimeters so as long as i can manage that animal outside of that that strike distance then that's fine and it's you see the same thing day in day out with uh with people that work with pythons or something like that and then they come across a rattlesnake well they may not work with rattlesnakes but they've learned that they need to stay outside that length of that strike range of that snake and they judge that strike range to a point where they can still curl up said rattlesnake so they can get their photos and all the rest of it but they're not not really experienced venomous people at all the other thing to remember as well is that a venomous snake bite is like a swiss cheese effect right you can put layers of things in front and layers of controls in front and all of those holes have to align for you to actually get that bite so you could have a you need a snake that actually wants to bite in the first place you need a person that gets within the strike range you need to get um, the snake on the right angle for that snake to actually strike in the first place and so all of those things have to arrange. If those things don't don't arrange, the person doesn't get bitten. And half the time, they don't realize how close they came to getting bitten. And that's yeah. what you see experienced people all the time, where they get so close where they could have been bitten, and they don't realize that they were in that position.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's well put. I, I also think that, uh, speaking for the majority of bites in captivity or even close calls in captivity. I feel like the majority of the people that have those interactions are either very very young meaning you know early 20s, full of piss and vinegar, think they know a lot, maybe they're just getting into it and they they haven't learned as much as they should at for whatever junction they're doing or people that have been doing it for 20 plus years and they got complacent and the majority of the bites in the U S believe it or not, are actually after 10 PM because they're like, Oh man, I forgot to change that diamondbacks water bowl. Always oh, on the other side of the four foot enclosure. I'll just grab it with my hand real quick. And it's like, no, it's already late. You've been working all day. You're groggy. The snake has no idea what's going on. And now this giant heat source just walked into its enclosure and, and, and accidents like that happen. So just to, just to kind of add to what doc was asking, I feel like the, veterans that keep like scott who have an idea again he'd never worked with insularis before but he had an idea of the parameters so that his swiss cheese was really wide and didn't have that many holes you know what i mean opposed to somebody who's brand new and doesn't know the swiss cheese effect or has been doing it forever and not to mundane it but forgot about the swiss cheese effect if that makes sense
2: Oh, look, and it's the thing. It's the same thing when I'm cleaning enclosures on baby death adders or something like that, right? Yeah. If I see that the death adders on one side of the tub, I know that it can't physically get across to where I am. Now, I should, by rights, take that snake out of the enclosure, put that into a holding container and then pull out the water bowl. But I don't do that. I just pull the water bowl out, right? That's, yeah. that's the reality, right? I can bullshit you and say that I don't do that, but that's 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 the reality. Mm-hmm. Now, do I put myself at risk? Yes, there is a risk there, but it's a controlled risk, and it's a risk that's mitigated by my experience, mm-hmm. right? But there, but make no mistake, there is still a risk there. But there's a risk when you open the enclosure as well. As soon as you open that, that enclosure, there's a risk, right? Um, so... You know, we, anyone that's working with these animals, I suppose, there is a level of risk. It's whether or not what what level of risk you're comfortable with, and how you mitigate those said risks.
1: Yeah, I also feel like there's a way to uh, dim- not diminish. I don't want to say that there's a way to eliminate some risk and make that window of risk super duper small. But what happens is people get lackadaisical, and they say, you know what, I should use hemostats to remove that water bowl, but you know what, the snake's on the other side, It's it's. I've done this a million times, I'll just use my hand, and oftentimes there's distance, and sometimes there's not, and I feel like that goes along with it, and I'm not telling Scott not to do that, Scott's been doing this way longer than me, uh, Scott knows exactly what he's doing, but there are some people that don't, and they should have used the hemostats, and they didn't, and I think that's a fact.
2: So the thing is, is ingrained in our own, in our, in our lifestyle. Every day we use safety controls sure. in our being. Right? How many of us have had a car accident in the last month? Any of us? No. But the last time you drove the car, though, you were wearing your seatbelt. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's not a, um, it, it's not a bad thing to use safety measures and safety protocols right and even if they are ingrained and all the rest of it Um, at the same time though we don't necessarily do every everything we should at all times the way we should Right? and setting ourselves to a position of an impossible standard to maintain is also too something that needs to be um, articulated as well right is that you are always going to deal with animals at some point in time when you probably shouldn't, right? And the risk level is higher for those that have less experience than for those that have a greater length of experience. The problem is is that the longer your amount of experience, the more likely you are to, to cut corners on things because you do become lackadaisical when it comes to opening something you know you watch somebody that the first time they open up a venomous enclosure and you know they can be shaking right they can be absolutely shitting their pants the first time they do it and they should be they should be it's a scary thing to do (laughs) until you do it every day for the last 30 years and you sort of go oh yeah okay it's like falling off a bike you know you just do it um and so that's that's where it becomes an issue too. Is we're, but we're not talking about how experienced people get bitten by venomous snakes. We're talking about best first venomous. And so that has right. a connotation of novices. So, yeah.
1: Well, all right. So just to – I love what you said. But just to go back onto the, the initial debating topic, are we factoring in – you had mentioned earlier about how death adders are people say they're great first venomous and blah blah blah, because they write a hook and they're teeny tiny and everything else but in actuality i personally wouldn't would not recommend them because of what you just said about having to assist feed and tease feed and and gi issues because they're not getting what they need they're only getting a pinky leg or a pinky head or whatever it may be or a lizard tail or something and i feel like that is something else to look at in terms of a good first venomous snake is how much going, this go on.
2: is why I feel there is no such thing as a good first venomous.
1: Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is that there is, there there is such things as good ven- first venomous snakes. And maybe, maybe again, maybe I'm being naive and thinking it's not that it's a good first one is that there are several that fit the criteria of a possibility, right? In terms of, being tolerant of human interaction, of uh, drinking enough and eating enough and pooping enough, and not having to have crazy environmental conditions set for it, and you know what I mean, and then and so going back you, to so would, would to you pros-
2: argue? Would you argue fair in fair point, right? Yeah. That southern copperheads, northern copperheads, whichever, a kiss for it on copperhead, right? Yeah. Would you argue or would you agree that both them and pygmy rattlesnakes are probably the two most commonly recommended? first venomous snakes out there?
1: I would say that in the United States, they most definitely are, but right. I would so, argue against the pygmy because of the baby feeding issues. and, and wild I was going to say, issues. right, so what's,
2: yep. it, what's it like grabbing a copperhead by the head? A pan in the ass. Because I've, I've, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've yeah. never handled, I've only ever hook-handled them, right? Yeah, so, they, I, I, they,
1: they twitch right. bite. You know, it's they're, they're, they're yeah. very reminiscent of death adders, but I also feel like the the, and again, this is all anecdotal, the odds of you having to assist feed are less as well as the odds of you having to get hands-on early in your training, early in your experience are less. So, and again, we're, and we're taking toxicity completely out of it. You know,
2: I'm not worried about the toxicity. Yeah. Toxicity, yeah. But is and a I, and I
1: know, I know we, we, we discussed earlier about how, the price of the animal is completely anecdotal because you have all this initial startup costs to get up to speed correctly right to get your room up to up to up to code to get your tools and your and your uh, everything that you're going to need to pursue this endeavor but i feel like a lot of people that get into this they are not Made of money, and as much as they want a death editor to be their first one, and they took what we said tonight, not you, what we said tonight, if they make, they do make a good first snake because that's what I want and that's my end goal, they may not have 1200 bucks to dish out for it. So the question is, do they just save their shekels and wait and maybe still train with some other stuff or not keep anything at all? Or do they start with something else like a $50 copperhead? that they know they can give back to the pet shop or they know they can give back to the breeder and work with that in the interim while they save their pennies to get to the end goal of, of death adder.
3: I bet they're spending their shekels is what I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: and we're also, I think, I think a lot of creeping in is like talking about, you know, feeding babies and things. We're we're not talking about breeding. Like (laughs) first, you know, an, an early keeper breeding these animals. So, you know, that, Kind of takes that out of it, especially for the novice. You know, having to read that assist feeding.
2: Unless it's a wall court, sure. Yeah, then has gives, a clutch but that gives birth.
0: Well, hopefully they would say i'm too novice for this i'm going to turn this over to somebody who has more experience you know and, <laughs> we can we can hope You <laughs> would hope so we know anyway.
2: uh, all they see, all they see dollar the signs going i can sell each of those babies for 50 or 100 bucks each and now true. i can afford my death adder.
1: yeah that's true that is true <laughs> that is true how
2: many times know. do you see how many times do you see that with pythons as well right yeah, how many people have come to Chuck and go, Chuck, I want to keep scrub pythons, you know, um, you know, and then you deal with a, a big, nasty scrub and you're like, yeah, I don't want to deal with scrub pythons anymore. <laughs> so yeah. it, it, it depends on on the people, right? So if you've got somebody that's responsible and all the rest of it, then, yeah, you're not going to have too many issues. But if you have somebody that's not responsible, then you're always going to have issues. And that's yeah. irrelevant of the species.
3: But aren't you always going to have somebody who's not responsible? <laughs> well, I, I think, too, I mean, like if, if
0: you're, you know, if you want somebody to have a good first experience, you're going to recommend something that, you know, doesn't just like you know for pythons you're not gonna say get a white-lip python they're wonderful you know because they squeeze on you they i mean yeah
3: and i mean uh, scott would you honestly be like so if i'm like scott dude i want to get into venomous what what do you think i should do would your response to be truly be there
2: is no good first venomous and walk off no my first my response would be why
3: OK, so 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 you're looking at this from like a and kind of like an end track, like a, a tract or or more like a goal. Whereas like when I hear this, what's the first venomous? It's somebody who like doesn't know shit. You know what I mean? And they're just like, I don't know. What's the best first venomous? Like they don't yeah. they're not they're they're kind of even outside of like the knowledge so, so, track to even get into that kind of like thinking you
2: know what i mean and so my response to that right when someone comes to me right I, well we can play that out if you like chuck right if you said no, no, no. right, yeah, yeah. what's, what's the first best best venomous? So i'm going to turn around and go well what do you want to keep what are you wanting to get out of this chuck what do you want to keep because there is no good first venomous right that's the reality now i can teach you how to keep venomous snakes that's not a problem but do you want to ask yourself are you fit to work with snakes every day do you want to spend 20,000 bucks on setting up a facility and getting any venom and all that sort of stuff or do you want to turn around and go hey it's cool that I keep a rattlesnake right
1: yeah Right? and, and, then and, then, then, and that's percent and correct
2: and that's how you how I start that conversation right yeah. now if that person is is half serious about it they turn around and go all right well I'm uh, well, can you explain a little bit more? I don't quite understand where you're coming from, and I'm more than happy to go down that road. But if the person goes, no, mate, I just want to keep a – I want to start keeping venomous snakes because I want to keep Thai pants. I'm like, all oh, right, cool, no worries. Well, I'm not the person you need to talk to. You need to find someone else to talk to because yeah. you're not going to have a good conversation with me, and I'm just going to get frustrated <laughs> and I am waste my time.
3: Yeah. So you kind of stratify that conversation to kind of, uh, you know,
2: weed, weed out the the people you're, oh, you're not – you know. Yeah, 100%. I'll talk to anyone about it initially, but if they want to be a fuckwit about it, then I'm not going to waste my time. I'd rather spend time with somebody that doesn't, that actually wants to do it properly. And if they want to do it properly, I'll I'll spend all the time in the world with them. I'll help them as much as I can. And I get emails literally from across the fucking globe about working the venomous snakes. And... I'm more than happy to compose a message and talk to somebody on, on message or talk to someone in person or whatever for as long as they need. And i do it for free. It doesn't worry me, right? But at the same time, I don't want to waste my time with the fuckwit. And, yeah. and I think and I think that's the, the – and it's the same too with you, right? If I said to you, I really want to work with scrub pythons and I, I want to know about it and all the rest of it, and i go, yeah, but I just want to keep them now you're not going to waste your time on talking about the, the, the finer points of scrub python husbandry with somebody, right? If you think right. that there's going to be no value in it, right? But if you think that that person is actually genuine in what they're asking and that they're going to, you know, they've already got Somalia or they're looking to get Somalia and this is how they want to set them up and they wanting to some information about how they're going to keep them properly, Or whatever then you're going to generally be more conducive to wasting spending your time wasting Mm -hmm. your time however you want to call it spending your time on teaching that person on how to work with scrubs so they have a good experience because at the end of the day we want everyone in the hobby to have a good experience but if people aren't willing to put the effort in then hey it is what it is
1: yeah and, then, and there's a lot of that out there man i, I mean we used to have the class at the, at the retail store and everyone and their mother be like man when do you do the classes i want to take a class and i'd be like oh we do it on tuesday come tuesday and then you just never see them ever again you know or they come two or three tuesdays to watch and they're like hey man when can i start handling stuff uh give it time you know and, and like they they weed out because it was a, a hot ticket item that they saw on their instagram reel and they they're not actually in it they don't they're not passionate about it. They just want it for the likes or to say that they have it. And that's not the people that you want to interact with or work with. You know?
2: It's always a good question to ask them, do they like their fingers?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> do you like them? Do you like these fingers? If you don't like these fingers, then you keep working with enemies. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, it, and particularly with new people, right? Because if you make a mistake, there's, you know, with some vipers, there's a chance that you are going to lose those fingers. Yeah. Right. Or and do dice. you like your house? <laughs> yeah. Do you like At Do least. you like your house? You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I like my house. Oh, good. All right. Well, have you got a hundred thousand dollars in the bank? Because that's what it's going to cost you for any venom. Um, so you start going down those roads, and then suddenly the people that are really interested in keeping venom start to really,
1: yeah, go down. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, well, I think we've done this to death. Yeah, I think this is a good
0: <laughs> kind of a natural stopping point there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys your insights, and that was some, uh, you know, definitely some good points and and things to consider there. So, thanks for uh, coming on and discussing that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we kind of like Thank to. Thank you, Philip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for both coming on. Um, we, we've got a, uh, well, we, we try to talk about anything new in science or anything new exciting that you're looking at uh, lately in, um, in herpeticulture, or herpetology or whatever. And um, I'm getting ready to go out and look for some uh, midget faded rattlesnakes uh, con color out in southern Utah so um, I've been thinking about those a bit and it actually led me to reconnect with an old uh, friend uh, um, Louis Porras who is uh, kind of a pioneer in American herpeticulture. and I had the great fortune of meeting when I was a teenager just kind of getting into keeping and breeding stuff and he, he started a place called Zoo Herp down in Salt Lake so I reconnected with him and he hadn't made the connection of that young, excited boy and, and the you know, the guy writing books uh, and and uh studying viruses up at Utah State. So it's been cool to reconnect with him and I was, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't be shocked, but he's you know, in in his seventies. <laughs> I thought he just stayed that, you know, same guy that when I met him as a teenager, but you know, so that's awesome. Unfortunately he doesn't I I couldn't get him to go out herping with me or anything, but uh it's been nice to, to converse with him a bit um but yeah looking looking at the you know different aspects of uh midget fader rattlesnakes and there's a population maybe two or three hours from me up in wyoming that's kind of a little uh kind of the northern extension of the of the habitat and reading an article that louie wrote about con color up in wyoming and how they're like you know out on these very very cold nights and just kind of cruising around not not very uh, defensive or, or you know at all and um, kind of gets me excited i want to go check out that population <laughs> drive out there and see if i can find some to just watch and see what they do but That's what awesome. a cool cool snake for sure so i've oh, seen yeah. them down in southern southeastern utah and there, um, seen them a few times i actually kept one as a kid i was on a backpacking trip and we found a, a little juvenile that just had a button and i asked my dad he let me take it home and i kept that for five or six years and um, this is a beautiful snake, but that thing never settled down. It would always rattle when I came into my room. It would just start buzzing, you know. So kind of crazy, but yeah, really cool snake. So hopefully awesome. we we get to find a few and uh, get old uh, another bucket item for Nipper. <laughs> I think yeah. that's what he's most excited about. So we'll see see if we can find him one. But that's gonna be awesome. Yeah, it should be a good trip. Any uh, new stuff
1: you guys been uh, reading or? Any new discoveries you're, you're aware of? <laughs> no, I uh, I've been trying to find papers on a uh, monotypic genus from South Africa called Macrolapse, which is the mm. Natal black snake. Mm. i uh, I got one, and uh, oh, nice. it was it was imported to the United States legitimately. and I guess people didn't realize how venomous it was. And I had friends message me saying, "Hey, uh, we have this thing. Is this like spicy?" And I said, yes, and I'll buy it. Just, I'm coming there right now. I will, I'll take it. And, uh, I got it to eat two pinkies so far and I'm setting it up the same as I'm setting up the, uh, atractaspis, but yeah. there's just no, there's barely any good. Which, what's that?
2: Which species of macrolops? I
1: think, I think it's it, now currently, I think it's monotypic. I think it's, it's a micro micro-lepid, macrolepidota. micro Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So, um, and, uh. Dude, it, it's incredible because everyone poo-poos them in 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 KwaZulu Natal. They're like, oh yeah, you pick them up in the garden and throw them in the other side of the yard. And this, these things move, man. The under under dirt, it's like almost like sandfish fast. It's super incredible um, and very very reminiscent of the act aspis. But finding papers on them is very very slim, and fighting any kind of you know toxinology of it or like any kind of bite reports they just don't exist so i've been like deep diving google scholar trying to f- find stuff of merit <laughs> but other than that man uh, status quo for me nice um, scott
2: we had uh we've got baby acenthafus on at the moment and acenthafus mm-hmm. hell yeah
1: you got the shirt on. Yep. let me see the shirt. Let's see
0: it. Oh, fuck. there we go. There it is.
2: Um, Look at that. Are
0: they the black, Sorry. black-headed Welzy?
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, a black male over a red female, so okay. she spat um, uh, nine, nine black-headed babies and oh four God. reds. So, That's cool. um, awesome. so yeah, getting them all feeding, and the you know the largest one's two point seven grams. Well, yeah. So they they're, yeah. <laughs> they're not big. They're not big. Compare them to the Antarcticus babies, which are like four point nine to ten. Mm. Um, so they're a little bit easier to work with. Um, so with those um, submitted danger the second edition of Dangerous Creatures of Australia uh, to, uh, yesterday. Nice. So I've been working on that, um, and then we just finished up. I just had uh, Frogs of Australia Come out The second edition Come out of that Came out like Three weeks ago um, And then You know Working on another Project now or Working on two Other projects At the moment As well um, A couple of Papers in the works As well cool. Funs and games Never stops.
0: Yeah for Epic. sure Epic. <laughs> Epic That's awesome Chuck, you right, B- B- Chuck. <laughs> Chuck You're muted Bob You're on mute B- <laughs> B- <laughs> B- Chuck Yeah
3: <laughs> That's exactly what's happening. <laughs> See, muted check.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. all Nothing right. Nothing going on with me. No.
3: no. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um.
0: Just just got eggs out of his uh, coastal carpets so that he's keeping outside. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Why are you frowny face, bro? That's awesome.
3: <laughs> no, it is. That's so good. Oh, I mean, I'm glad. You know, it's just. Uh, you know. I want eggs from my other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to jinx it. I know the feeling. Yeah, I <laughs> you know the no feeling. Yeah, you got you got some time still, right? Yeah, eh, this should be moving moving along pretty they,
2: good here. Like, yeah. are they be. postulating in the right way? Are they sitting the right way in that, or, or not yet?
3: Yeah, <laughs> but you know, I'm in that period where, like before, it's all just.
2: It's like not clear gone, yet.
3: Gone away, and it's like, wait, what? what wait, what just happened? And it, like... <sighs>
2: yeah, so... Yeah.
3: I don't know. I'm, like, I'm not... I'm still... That's why I'm, like, you know...
2: I, I hey, the way I look at it, right? I always look at that as a benefit anyway, right? So if it does go away, you know the following year... Yeah. Right? That the female's had a year off. Mm-hmm. She's in better... She's in a better position. It's less damaging to her body... Not a bad thing to have a year off, you know. Yeah, and I mean you've you've repeated it right. It's not like you've only ever bred them once. Yeah,
3: and and that's that. You know, before I bred them, I mean, the female cycled probably like I don't know three three four years before she actually got gravid. So, you know.
2: So you've already you've already like, repeated it right so it's, yeah. it's not like you don't know that you don't know the formula so to speak yeah. right so and, and, so just give it if it doesn't happen man it's, it's all good it's the females decided for whatever reason that she didn't want to go that second se- that 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 seat that, se- that season and so that's o- not a bad thing
3: the only thing the only thing i think about is going back to the original cages that i bred them in because the cages are a lot smaller than the cages i have them in now and i've always felt like the cage size really matters with them even though they look like it looks not good to have an animal with this giant head and this long body in this tiny cage i really think that helps them feel secure it helps them feel you know confident um and uh, you know maybe maybe i'm wrong and hopefully Hopefully, uh, hopefully I am. But um, I, I have I think that option e- to go
2: back that way if I want to. But I don't know. You can always you can always have a really tight hide box in there as well for them.
3: Yeah, so and, and it's
2: that's, a security thing. That's how you get away with it. Have a yeah. cage that's large enough for them to be able to function. Remember, they breed in the wild, right? Uh, in the wild, they've got a pretty big area to walk around. In, so. Yeah, and
3: <laughs> and it's it's weird. It's just like I'm just not seeing the same things that I saw in the previous years. But it doesn't mean that I'm not seeing good things. It's just they're it, things aren't happening the same way as they used to.
1: So I don't know. I don't know what that means exactly Yeah, So we'll, we'll see. It, if it if it makes you feel better, uh, I have six Seracis Sarassis that I held back because they were primo, gorgeous specimens. And I've, we've got a very large collection of them with my friend Marcus. And those six are finally big enough. I was like, you know what? Let me put them in a container and really sex them. Six boys. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so, called yep. pulling a under. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I know the pain. So if yeah. anybody... You need Sarasi Sarasi's mails, let me know. <laughs> They're choice specimens. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, we'll,
0: we'll give a shout-out, the obligatory shout-out to the Morelia Pythons mm-hmm. radio network. And thanks to mm-hmm. Eric mm-hmm. and Owen mm-hmm. and the guys. Check them out on their social media sites and all that good stuff, all the good podcasts.
2: Yeah. Did you confirm before that Owen oh, is actually just a shaved Sasquatch? Is that what we said before? Is that <laughs> like, oh,
0: <laughs> I, I think that's the, the the leading theory on why that's he the step
3: going around the, campus. Yeah,
1: the, the worst thing. kid. Worst case scenario, right. there was a Sasquatch in his family tree at some point. So he's like, you know, one sixteenth Squatch, something to that extent. Yeah, that's why are you suggesting, you are you suggesting
2: that Jim from Morgantown is a Sasquatch? I,
1: I, I, would, I would certainly do that. Quarter blood Sasquatch, yeah. He's swirly enough. I love it.
0: Oh, well, uh, all right. Yeah. Cool. Oh, so so right, stop looking for Sasquatches. You might find one. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for listening. We'll catch you again next week for Reptile Fight Club.
3: Later, all you 10% nitwits.